Welcome to the Newton Books Network, the African American Studies channel. I'm your host, James Stansel, and today I talk with the author of In the Name of the Mother, Italian Americans, African Americans, and Modernity, from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. The author is Dr. Samueli F.S. Pardini. He's an associate professor at Elon University in North Carolina, and his book is published by the Dartmouth College Press. I really enjoyed talking to Sam about his book, and he also, of course, reminded me of my home state of North Carolina. He promised me he was going to uh, get a barbecue sandwich for me or some Bojangles chicken you know, in return for the interview, so hopefully he'll live up to uh, his, his uh, promise. But you're really going to enjoy this interview. It's very wide-ranging, and he really goes into a lot of depth and detail um, explaining the connections between the Italian-American community and the African-American community, going all the way back to southern Italy. So uh, listen up and enjoy this interview about the connections between African-Americans and Italian-Americans. In the name of the mother, and the author is Samuele Pardini. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome again to the African-American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stansel, and it is my great pleasure today to welcome a man who's in my home state of North Carolina. He makes me <laughs> a little homesick every time I, I speak with him. But we're here with Samuel F.S. Pardini. He is an associate professor at Elon University in Elon, North Carolina. And we're going to be talking with him about his book, In the Name of the Mother, Italian Americans, African Americans, and Modernity, from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. Mr. Pardini, how are you today? Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, James. Thank you for having me it on is... the podcast. It was very, <laughs> very nice to meet you. Very nice to talking meet you. to you. Absolutely. I've enjoyed, you know, we, we have a lot of conversations on New Books Network before we ever turn the recording on. And I must say, yours is one of my most enjoyable. I really enjoy talking with you and, and, and getting to know you and, and talking about home. You know, I'm out here in Houston yeah. now. And, and you know, hey, sorry that I make you a little homesick. Yes, yeah, okay. Well, one thing you can do for me, Sam, is if you can go to Smithfield's Chicken and Barbecue and eat a barbecue sandwich with coleslaw and hush puppies on my behalf, then everything will be okay. Or Bojangles. Um, no problem. It's right. gonna be very easy to do for me. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind at all. Right. Absolutely. One of those two things. If you can do one of those two things for me, then hey, we are we are we are okay. Uh, consider it done. It. All right. And so um, your book is published by Dartmouth College Press. And, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, offline about, about your history. It's a, it's a great American story, um, Sam. And so if you can maybe share with us a little bit about, about your background, you know, how you came to, to writing this book and your, your interest and, and, and so forth with the audience. I think they would love to hear it. Yes, so I was born and uh, raised in a small town along the coast of Tuscany in Italy, mm-hmm. and I came to the United States in 1997 uh, because I had a fellowship from the State University of New York at Buffalo ah, okay. to pursue a PhD in uh, comparative literature. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have, a, I mean, I had I had come to the United States before. I had I had some family here. My mom's uh, uncle came to this country back in the 30s. One of the uh, last, I guess, uh, immigrants from uh, southern Eastern Europe right. to come to the U.S. before World War II and okay. after the frontier was—I mean, the frontier immigration was essentially 
from Europe was essentially shut down in 1921 and 24 by okay. Congress. So I had come to visit him, but you know it was in 97 and I came uh, for good, and I, I completed my PhD in comparative leadership, like I said, at mm-hmm. Buffalo, where I studied with uh, the great fortune and blessing, really, to study with uh, Leslie Fiedler, the famous okay. literary critic and wow. historian of American culture. And uh, I actually got very, very close with him. And uh, and uh, after he passed away, I was able to do two books uh, of essays in, the, in Italy that I published in Italy of his. Okay. Uh, one was about all the stuff that he wrote about Italian uh, culture and literature, and a small another small book about uh, a few essays about war and American culture that mm-hmm. he wrote. And then I actually did a book here in the United States for Counterpoint Press in 2008 called uh, The Devil Gets His Due, The Uncollected Essays of Leslie Fiedler. Oh, okay. Wow. Which collects pretty much all, not all, but close to mm-hmm. uh, all the essays that he didn't, he didn't collect in a book. Okay. You know, from uh, the very first piece that he published in 1943 to the very last one, which he published just a couple of months before it passed away, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, covering a you know, span of rather some 50 years of scholarship. Wow. So it's a good book to get your teeth on if you want to get, mm-hmm. uh, if you're interested in, in, his, in his work. And can you repeat and the then, name? Can you repeat the name? Yeah, it's called, it's called The Devil Gets His Due, okay. The Uncollected Essays of Leslie Fiedler, and it's Counterpoint Press, okay. 2008, and paperback 2010. Okay. And, uh, okay. Go ahead, sure. H- how I got into my book after doing that, um, I started teaching, I mean, as I said, I have a, uh, I'm trained in comparative literature mm-hmm. and uh, comparative studies, and my focus is, my main interest is on 20th century modernity mm-hmm. and the study of modernity and the relationship between humanistic culture in uh, in the West and modernity. Okay. And uh, I got interested in Italian American studies while I was in graduate school, although nobody was offering any class or teaching mm-hmm. any class. And so I asked permission. I was granted permission to start teaching Italian American studies uh, as an undergraduate class which I did, and uh, ever since, this is like 2000, essentially, okay. after finished my coursework, ever since 2000, I start, you know, continue to teach and, and then research, of course, Italian-American studies. And I was also interested in relating this area of studies to the larger uh, context of American studies, right. and especially African-American studies. And so little by little, I started, you know, you know, you teach, you do research, mm-hmm. you start having an idea uh, of what my view might not be there, you know. And I started putting together uh, material that I thought, material that I didn't teach but that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I came, you know, to the conclusion that there was a book to be made. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and I started the process. I put down, I jot down notes, I put down a plan for it, you know, and uh, I was supported uh, by my school uh, very well. You know, they gave me, you know, enough money to pursue research archives that I needed to be, that needed to be done. 
and uh, going to conferences, you know, getting bring over to campus people that have been instrumental then read parts of the book, you know, the usual networking that you do when you, sure. when you do this kind of work, I would guess. So then I put down a plan. Originally, the book was uh, mostly, uh, for the most part, was centered in Italian-American uh, literature and culture, popular mm. culture. Uh, but the more I got into it, the more I saw the black presence mm. into this culture. You know? Right. And then, you know, I started finding African-American, relevant African-American material, literature and, uh, and other stuff that had a, what I think is a substantial or significant Italian presence mm -hmm. in it, you know, and started connecting the dots and say, you know, why is there this uh, exchange this, and this investment, I think the key word is why at the beginning of the 20th century, when you have obviously the, the big immigration from, from Europe, right. and especially from you know, the central and southern part of Italy, the United States, which essentially is the biggest transfer of people from one continent to another, mm -hmm. probably in history, you know, uh, well, uh, relative to the time, uh, to the you know, to the time period, and uh, and I say, how come right at the beginning of the, you know, between the end of the 19th century, the early 20th century, when segregation begins officially in right. the South, you know, you start seeing this African American investment, cultural, literary, historical, mm -hmm. into Italian, you know, and so that's how the book. Ah. developed, you know. And uh, the methodology was, uh, like I said, I'm training comparative studies. Mm -hmm. I studied with Leslie Fiedler, so I was interested in using different areas of, of culture okay. to, create, to create what I called, you know, a region of culture. Mm -hmm. You know, they would go between, across the Atlantic and then you know, from one place to another, back and forth, and uh, they would delineate a precise, like I say, regional culture, not just in terms of, you know, disciplines, but also in terms of periodization okay. and, and theoretically speaking. Right. Uh -huh. So I was very interested in, in using symbols and symbolic domains, mm. you know, and see how, you know, they are essentially uh, a mirror of modes of production. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, the one, I needed something to center the book. Right. Essentially. Right? And I started realizing that in both cultures that I was dealing with, mm -hmm. and even in the overlapping of them between the two, there was this central metaphor of the mother, which mm. is what the, the title refers to. In the name of the mother, right. Yeah, although also there's a, a little religious reference to that. Of you, course, you know, of course. The, the prayer, obviously. And, uh, but, you know, this, this metaphor of the mother, you know, that returns time and again in the, in the, in the material that I'm dealing with. Mm -hmm. And it became 
clear to me that that was the central metaphor around which I could organize uh, and, and, and tie together the whole thing, yeah. which is what happened. And then periodization-wise, mm-hmm. and uh, which also the periodization also dictated the the, the selection of the material. Mm-hmm. I said, first of all, I want to publish the book before I'm ashes, so <laughs> I, I, I need to set clear boundaries. Right, you, know, you can't cover everything. Don't get into you know. When you offer your first book, you know, you really want to... Yeah, you do everything, good as everything possible. in there. You want to throw in everything you can. A good thing to do is, you know, set clear boundaries. Don't overdo it. That's great advice. <laughs> you know, so that's what I said. But the other point was like, this, uh, this investment of African-Americans and Italian immigrants and Italian-Americans begins right at the beginning of segregation, essentially, or at least the foundation of what is considered uh, African-American literature, I would guess. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the founding texts, which is Johnson and the Autobiography and ex colored Man. And it lasts, and it lasts for sure until right around the civil rights movement. Okay. With some sort of like consistency and in every major shift either literary or historical you know the passage from the foundation if you want of african-american literature that johnson began and then you know the harlem renaissance and then the great depression and then the 50s and the post-world war ii literature there's a significant author african-american author that deals with italian americans or the italian presence there so i say okay these are the boundaries, mm-hmm. more or less, mm-hmm. of the book. Because I think that after the civil rights movement and the legislation, I think that you need a different set of conceptual tools mm. to go about it, you know. And that's so not, I said, this like a sequel is... to me. <laughs> well, we'll see about that, you know. <laughs> I mean, one of the goals of the book is that to promote this kind of research. Absolutely. Uh, because one of the advantages and disadvantages at the same time that I had that there was almost, I mean, next to nothing. Mm-hmm. There was no such a thing as a full book. There was an article that was very, very important for me, okay. which is Robert Orsi article. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Orsi is a professor at Northwestern Okay. University in Evanston, in Illinois, and is a scholar of U.S. Uh, Catholicism, mm-hmm. and he wrote this very important book about Italian Americans called the Madonna 115th Street. Okay. And uh, but he also wrote a very important essay about uh, the religious family of Italians and uh, how race pretty much. Uh, not just influence, but like the, the identity of Italian Americans is racially inflected. Mm. And he used the terms to define Italian Americans racially. He calls them the in between people. Right. right. Who are neither black nor white. You know, right. some sort of like this in between uh, kind of like 
identity that is hybrid, if you want. Mm-hmm. So that was an essay that was very important to me. And, uh, and I came out with this concept that I use in pretty much uh, a whole book mm-hmm. that is a driving concept called Invisible Blackness. Mm. Uh-huh. That is a way of defining the this in-between status of right. Italian, but to take it out of the religious context that Orsi uses and translate it and articulate it to different areas, yeah, such I mean, that's culture and popular culture and literary culture and so forth. And that, that really spoke to me, too, that whole concept of invisible blackness. Because, I mean, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, Mike Tirico um, offline, the, um, the sports journalist, you know, and, yes. and you know, the kind of ambiguity about, about his race. And, you know, you know, and the further connections between, you know, African-Americans and, and Italian-Americans you see in popular culture and, and movies and such, which, you, you know, you get into a lot here in, in your text. But that, that invisible blackness, and some would consider that controversial. They don't, you know, maybe they don't want to be associated with, with blacks or, or blackness or, or vice versa. But, I, you know, I, I think... Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah, right. I mean, this is so true. It's almost like a mind spill. Oh, it is, not almost. It is a mindfulness. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, I don't think I discover, you know, anything or say anything new or radical right. by saying that, you know, uh, as if you're not white, but if, but if you associate with white and whiteness, right. you have some privilege in this country, right? right. right? So It makes a difference. And it's essentially, you know, to a large extent, this is the story of immigration. You know, in the in general, century indeed. Of what the so-called white ethnics, little by little, these terms themselves from uh, everything or anything that can be associated with, you know, some sort of blackness or right. otherness in any case. Right? And, and, and they try have... to pass and embrace whiteness, you know. Right. And the, the whole idea of the involuntary immigrants. And the voluntary, you know, immigrants and, you know, exactly what you're talking about there, Sam, when people come in, they're kind of all viewed the same, you know, as as being a bit of an outsider. But the longer that they stay and, you know, a lot of cases, you know, they they can become accepted and and distance themselves from some of the other groups. And African-Americans, you know, coming in, you know, as involuntary immigrants, that's something that, you know, many would argue that we can never escape. So even though, you know, you're an immigrant group, let's say, like, you know, many others that have come over time, you know, uh, you know, the Irish and the Italians and so on and so forth, you know, have kind of been able to, you know, escape um, that kind of otherness. Um, but African-Americans, to a sense, have not, you know, that no, no Irish need apply and, you know, and some of yes. the, you know, the earlier rules and regulations against Italians and some other Central and uh, Eastern Europeans when they first began immigrating here. And the, the name of the book, you know, we've been talking for a while and we've got some great dialogue here between uh, myself and Sam Pardini. But the, the book is In the Name of the Mother, Italian-Americans, African-Americans and Modernity, from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. And I'm here with the author, Samuel F.S. Pardini. He is a scholar. He's an author. And, you know, he's a professor at the uh, Elon University. He's an associate professor at Elon University in North Carolina. And, and Sam, before we go further, I wanted to make sure I got all your titles correct. So if you could just tell everyone who, who and what you, what you do at, at Elon. 
Yeah, I'm an associate professor in the Department of World Languages and Cultures. Right. I also I'm also the coordinator of the American Studies program, and I serve uh, my second and last term as a faculty resident of the Honors Program. Oh, the Honors Program. And I teach I teach for the most part. Uh, I, th- I I split between uh, American Studies and uh, and Italian Studies. Right. Right. And as of late. Focus more on the, you know, comparative American studies kind of teaching. Right. I wanted to make sure I got that in so people can know all the things that you do and you know and you know you are an outstanding a a great scholar and you did great work here in in the name of the mother. You're you're welcome, Sam. And as you mentioned earlier, this is you know some work and some research that you know there's not a lot of information out there about it. So I you know I thank you for uh, taking that time and and doing this research on this on this topic hopefully you know others will become interested in this and explore their own family histories and maybe you know also um, look at this connection between um, Italian Americans and African Americans 20th century going even into the uh, 20 21st century and so I so I think yeah let's get into you know and you've already gotten into it you know very well but maybe some key points or some key findings um, that you, that you had in the book that you want to share with the audience, and we definitely want you to go out and buy it, everyone. I mean, this is this is real stuff, you know, really good stuff, and, and you can't find this everywhere. So definitely, you know, go out and get Sam's book. But maybe yeah, tell us some of your your key points and ideas, and you know, and maybe get into a little bit more of how you conducted the research. You know, which specific kind of things? I know you talked about it a little bit, and you know, but you know, whether your individuals that you talked to, or was it mainly just you know just kind of just academic research? Well. Uh it was, for the most part, academic research, but mm. of course, when you spill into popular culture, you have <laughs> right. to reach out to other kind of sources. You know? sure, sure. And uh, among the uh, very useful sources was uh, mm, the archive, some archival material that mm. I found uh, and, uh, in, at the University uh, of Rochester. They have the, okay. the archives of Jerry Manjone was this uh, very important Italian-American intellectual and writer mm. and novelist who in the 1930s was one of the people who engineered, was a big part of the work, uh, project, project administration, uh, Federal Writers Project. WPA, you know, right. The WPA. Mm-hmm. And in 1943 published this book called Mount Allegro. Mm-hmm which is the topic of uh, the second chapter. Mm-hmm. And it's, in his archive, there's uh, a lot of references uh, to people that he worked with, African-American intellectuals that he worked with during, uh, during the WPA, such as Sterling Brown and Richard Wright and uh, Ralph right. Ellison. Mm-hmm. So I found some references in there that brought me back to the beginning of the book, especially Booker T. Washington, okay. who is the subject of the first chapter, along with an Italian movie called Nuovo Mondo, which in America was actually presented with a different title called uh, Golden Door, mm-hmm. in reference to the Statue of Liberty. So Washington, which is this completely uh, fascinating figure to me. Sure, uh, absolutely. You know, right... Towards the end of his life, just a couple of years before he dies, he takes this tour, uh, I mean, this trip to Europe, mm-hmm. 
And, and he writes this very big book called The Men Further Down, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, in which he explores how the laboring classes of Europe uh, live and are treated and their conditions. Mm-hmm. It's called a study of observation of the laboring classes of Europe. And a good chunk of the book, this is like a 500 pages book, who's not very well studied. You know, I'm probably not very well known either uh, by people who uh, do this kind of work. But a good chunk of the book is dedicated to uh, Italy mm. and, uh, and southern Italy. Yeah. And uh, what is interesting about it is that clearly he was very well prepared mm-hmm. when he went over. Before... Uh, Years passed when he, when he did his, you know, up, up from slavery, he was, uh, he had a pretty hard stance on immigration. Like, mm-hmm. it was an anti-immigrant uh, political position that he had. Sure. Because, obviously, he was afraid that, mm-hmm. you know, the immigrants would take away, you know, jobs and, uh, from African-Americans, right. especially in the South. And so, uh, he takes this trip to Europe, and he basically discovers... Uh, completely new people, so to speak. And one of right. them, one of these uh, people are these southern Italians, and especially the women in southern Italy. Mm-hmm. What attracts uh, Washington to, to the southern Italian women is the fact that he uh, makes this comparison between the condition in which they live in southern Italy in the labor condition, also general life condition, mm-hmm. that reminds him of slavery. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, he's very cautious, as you know, mm-hmm. talking about slavery. It's very uncomfortable in the sense that, he, I mean, his, his lifelong project is to get away from it, essentially, right. Right? and integrate African Americans into the fabric of the country. I mean, the way he envisioned this, it's a whole different ballgame. But, you know, is somebody who is a former slave, you know, and he's trying to uh, have a modern project for his people, mm-hmm. and he's not, co- you know, he's trying to detach himself from the slave experience. But when he gets there to Italy, and he sees these people, and the port in which they live, and the conditions in which they live, mm-hmm. you know, he makes this comparison time and again between slaves in the pre-Civil War uh, South and uh, Southern Italian women. Mm. And it goes on and on about, you know, how uh, coming to the U.S. is a sort of like, for this immigrant and for these women, is a mm. sort of like emancipation. Mm. The problem with the book it is, you know, is an entirely uh, patriarchal uh, view mm. of women. Yeah? And very instrumental, I would say, to a vision of modernity that is based on on a capitalist economy okay. and uh, and even way of life, mm. essentially, right? So sort of like these stores, okay, in a way, the the way that these women he, he only talks about the the negative side of it. Okay, you know, he makes right. he, he basically says you know. When they come to America, they're born again, you know, mm. and they, you know, 
the past no longer counts, and so on and so forth. Right? So it makes this immigrant passage as a sort of like positive, entirely positive experience that rejuvenates. You know, it's a classic story mm-hmm. of you know of immigration, if you want. But uh, if you look into the story, it's much more complex than yeah. that, and especially for women. Many right? stories are <laughs> much more yeah, complex. Yeah, many than, stories are right, right than what people think on initial inspection. Yeah, and so you know that's why I juxtapose Washington book to this uh, Italian movie about uh, Sicilian immigrants, mm, the Golden Door, Sicilian immigrant. Yeah, the Golden Door, Novo Mondas, Sicilian and Italian, which. You can clearly see that the passage, you know, uh, through Ellis Island was anything but, you know, a joyride, so to speak, mm. and especially for women. At the same time, what the movie uh, does, uh, what I do at least, uh, by juxtaposing the movie and the book, mm-hmm, is to make sure, I mean, to make sure to, to see, to, to point out how, you know, these women were a lot more uh, complex than the mm. way Washington depicts them. Okay, right, okay? right. And at the same time, that there is some sort of like non-formal intellectual uh, way of being of them. And, mm. and at the same time, ways of relating to the universe, okay. the physical universe around them. Mm. That complicates the story of modernity is, you know, and immig- of immigration as a story of modernity that is entirely a story of emancipation. Mm. And I guess that what I'm trying to say, the key point about this is, you know, the story of like, we come to America to have a better life. Right. right? Yeah, that's the, the, the mainstream story. All true. The point is that what needs to be emphasized is that immigration happens by negation. Mm. Now, intellectual immigration is a whole different story. But what we know as immigration, what we think of as an immigration, is people who leave their land of origin, not Mm. because they want, but because they have to. Wow, right, right. Whether because of political conditions, for the most part because of economic conditions. Sure. These days you see, because of war, Right, in the Middle East. Right, in today's right. world, right. In today's world. So the key point here is, again, that, yes, people may come to look for a better life, but the point is that they leave because they have to, mm-hmm. not because they want mm-hmm. most of that. Right? And, and, and what they bring with them is an entire way of viewing the world and seeing the world. You know? Right. Yeah. And this is what at the same time fascinates and, you know, repels Booker to Washington. Mm. But there's something that he does that is very important to the book that he detaches symbolically, obviously. Mm-hmm. He detaches southern Italy where the immigrants come from from Europe. This is clear to him. Mm-hmm. It does not associate them, you know, with 
he calls you know, southern Italy and Sicily a bridge to Africa. So right. he creates this he creates this area, this geo uh, cultural right. area, this Afro Mediterranean uh, area that then becomes for me uh, sort of like the perimeter of, mm. of the research, you know, mm. and, and and say, okay, you know, how come this guy is so invested into these Italian uh, women and men who come to America and in detailing their life of poverty in in in, in Italy and detaching symbolically from Europe, okay. you know. He's the guy who knows what he's doing, obviously. Mm -hmm. right. Trying to make those connections between the Africans in America, okay. right, and those southern. And he does, yeah. Of course, he has. You know, he, he keeps saying they ha they are in worse condition than African Americans are. You know, which is a problematic, uh, right. a problematic uh, statement to make. But obviously, it's trying to advance African Americans. Uh, put them ahead of, of the immigrants. But what it's important to me is not, uh, is, is pretty much the, uh, the connection that he makes mm -hmm. uh, between the two people, and especially between uh, African-American uh, former slaves and Italian women uh, from the South. Right. So the book developed from, that, uh, from the point of the party. And the, and the book is In the Name of the Mother, Italian Americans, African Americans, and Modernity from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. And we're here with the author Samuel F.S. Pardini, and the book is published by Dartmouth College Press. And we're here on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. And, you know, the more I hear you talk, Sam, about your book, I keep looking back at this cover of this young man. It just... Yeah. <laughs> It just draws my my eyes to it, and you know, you know, hearing you talk about the connections between Italian Americans and African Americans, this young man looks like he could be really a part of either community, you know. And that's why I picked it, to right. be honest with you. Yeah, please uh, tell us more. Look, uh, there's no information, official information about the photo who mm -hmm. who took it. You know, it could be Louis Hine or it could be one of those early 20th century uh, folks who went around uh, northeastern cities. This is a photo of an Italian student in mm. 1906. Right. That's all the information that is available. Uh, and there's no name, the name of the, of the kid, you know, but it, as you know, obviously the listeners can now see, mm -hmm. although if they go obviously on the web, they can. Yeah, you can but see it's it. But this, yeah. this kid who has, you know, typical Italian kid, of the days, Southern Italian kid of those days, I guess, with, you know, his books or case under his arm, you know, this mm -hmm. hat and the white shirt and the black tie, and he has this face that clearly denotes, you know, what they, you know, in those days, it's a you know, dark complexion, right. which is what, you know, pretty much, uh, that's the way they wear uh, if you were in Ellis Island, you know, white people of dark complexion, right. you know, the Italian Americans. And that's what makes it interesting because, like you said, this kid is more like a mulatto person, if you, if you, if you, you know, interracial if you look carefully, person, right. interracial person, 
you know. And so, where does it belong, you know? And what does sort of like symbolize? I mean, mm-hmm. I don't. This is just the cover of the book. It's not that I, I talk about the photo mm-hmm. in the book, but, but he was sort of like from your is a representative, sort of like an invitation, mm-hmm. you know, to dig into where does this, you know, uh, invisible blackness come from right your concept right? right you know the concept which brings me back to Manjon and his book Mount Allegro because which is the subject of chapter two because mm-hmm. he goes about the life of these immigrants people this Italian in a Rochester neighborhood and what he does for the most part is clearly uh, show the diversity of the Italian mm-hmm. the racial diversity of the Italian and how the ways of lives are completely incompatible with the political economy of capitalism and industrial capitalism of the day. But what he really, not what he really, what really interests me is that, it, and I go over this, mm-hmm. but at the end, towards the end of the book, the book is all about his family and his relatives, this sort of like two blocks in a street mm-hmm. in Rochester where they live and how they live and what they do and what they don't do. And uh, so on and so forth. But towards the end of the book, he talks about, you know, this party the family had. Right. And the kids that listen to jazz. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no mention of... Uh, the only America that you see throughout the, uh, in the book is either the Italian America of his family mm-hmm. or the white America that is, you know, a force of discrimination mm-hmm. for that okay? in school in the factory where they work there's few uh, passages in which it's clear that you know white America is uh, doesn't welcome mm-hmm. these Italian immigrants right? but there's no hint whatsoever of any African American presence or black presence in the book until you get to this to this moment in the in the book in which he talks about the kids listening to jazz. Oh right, right. And of course, I mean at that point in time, we're talking, you know, uh, mid twenties. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Italian Americans who play jazz and do jazz, right? But nonetheless, this is a music that is mm-hmm. associated, rightly so, right. with African American culture. Associated with, yeah, with African American culture, right? It's not an Italian invention, obviously. Right? And even more so, in the very uh, at the very end of the book, he takes a trip to Sicily, to his relative's hometown, and he discovers that there's a religious festa in town that celebrates this black saint, mm. which, by the way, they still have okay. in the town there. And you can Google, uh, you can go on YouTube. And see the procession, okay. and you see all these people wow. carry on the stage of this uh, saint, black saint, whose uh, the mythic story is that he came originally from Ethiopia, mm-hmm. okay? and uh, it was a doctor that cured kids, especially and uh, sick people, and that's why he became it was sanctified, mm-hmm. and so and he juxtaposed the the, uh, the the saint, the black saint mm-hmm. to Mussolini mm. and, and the problem of fascism 
So it uses, you know, in the end it makes a bridge to blackness. Okay. After throughout the book talking about the racial diversity of the time. Right? And it's sort of like saying, look, the blackness actually is part of the Italian identity, certainly mm-hmm. for people who come from the South. Right. And not only, huh? I mean, there's, in Italy, there's, and in other parts of Europe too, but especially in Italy, in Southern Italy, and Central Italy, there's plenty of the so called Black Madonnas. Mm-hmm. Right? So, the representation of the Virgin as a, as a black person. Mm-hmm. Right? So, in a way, Manchon, what he does is retraces this uh, black roots of his Italian identity that he's looking for when he goes to Sicily. And mm-hmm. on top of it, he connects the music that he hears, the festa mm-hmm. uh, for the procession, with the jet, with the night, the, what he calls the Harlem Nights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When he was in New York and uh, after college, he went to work in the publishing industry in New York City, and you know, apparently he used to go out to this you know, Harlem class when mm-hmm. he first heard many, you know, jazz musicians, of course, and and so he makes this connection between uh, his Italian American identity that he's trying to uh, describe or at least map, okay, and the black roots. In his very hometown, and then he goes back to the U.S. and he associated with the the music that he hears there. Wow! So the overlapping increases Mm -hmm. in the book, and at that point, that's where you get to the central part of the book, Mm -hmm. which is chapter three. Right, and you have this. African-American uh, literary okay, from Johnson all the way to Baldwin. Mm-hmm. So they cover the entire spectrum of the development of African-American literature in the 20th century until civil rights. James Weldon Johnson up to James Baldwin. Yes. And they all have a significant Italian-American presence mm-hmm. in one of their books. And there's a huge investment in it, you know, and it's both uh, literary and historical, I would say. And the, one of the key, uh, if not the key book, the key mm-hmm. text, and this chapter is Richard Bruce Nugent, mm-hmm. uh, Nugent uh, Gentleman Jigger, which is an incredibly fascinating book. He was, you know, one of the Arlen Renaissance guys. Right. But he didn't get to this, this, this novel. He didn't get to publish this novel in his lifetime. And if I'm correct, it was published after he was, uh, after he passed. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But regardless, this is a novel essentially about this African-American character who enters literally the Italian-American world mm. of New York City first and Chicago later. And not just the Italian-American world, but the underworld. Mm. He gets involved with gangsters. 
hoodlums and gangsters. Apparently, you know, he has this character called Orini in, in the Chicago part, which is pretty much the second section of the novel, mm-hmm. who apparently he modeled after uh, Lucky Luciano. Okay. Yeah, I think that somehow he had met Luciano uh, in his life. And uh, so that seems to be the uh, the real fear that he modeled this gangster out. Wow. And what it does is it something it doesn't just, you know, cross is the ethnic and racial lines right. and class lines as well. But he makes this gangster homosexual. And not just this gangster. He makes Lackley Shannon homosexual, essentially. Right? He was an homosexual man himself. Very attracted to uh, Italian culture uh, and uh, aesthetics. Okay? Makes a very compelling case about aesthetics in the book. Sounds like a, a, a movie that could be coming out. <laughs> It's interesting because it's not a plot. Obviously, it's not a plot-driven book mm-hmm. at all. But if it would be, I think, a very good movie. I think actually, it would. That somebody should make. It might need know. to be you and me, Sam. We might need to. Uh, yeah, write well, that, write I'm not sure that how down. you get to find the resources to do that. <laughs> we could we could write the script for that. We would be fascinating. We we could we could uh, leave the academy forever and become Hollywood producers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but yeah, that's yeah. where the notion of invisible blackness really takes, right. you know, you know, With that down roots, if you want, because mm-hmm. he really makes the case for Italians, Italian. When he says Italian, he means Italian Americans, obviously, mm-hmm. of not being white people. Mm-hmm. Okay? But he does not uh, focus solely on, or hardly on, on the color. Skin color. Mm-hmm. Okay, it makes a whole uh, argument about you know anti-social socialization mm-hmm. and the way you know these people live and who they are, right. how they present themselves, right? And it's obviously it's not trying to it's not a post-racial reading mm-hmm. or argument that I'm making there, right? In the in starting with. Uh, Gentle and Jigger, and then the, the other books that I talk about mm-hmm. uh, that belong to the African American uh, literary canon is what I'm saying is this investment of these African American men of letters into Italian Americans is a way for them mm-hmm. to get away from what Alan Locke called the formulaic representation that mm-hmm. white America has of black Americans. They mm-hmm. use them them being Italian-Americans, and especially Italian-American men, mm-hmm. to, as a sort of like a surrogate mm-hmm. for African-Americans, mm-hmm. and show a, you know, a representation of the male, of the African-American man, that is otherwise unavailable, because all they can see, or they can't see, sure. <laughs> white people, is a black male. And you meant by Locke, you right. mean um, Alan? Alan? Yes. Locke? Right. Alan Locke. Okay. Right. Just it's, for clarity, I don't want to think we're talking about John Locke. <laughs> no, 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 no. Alan Locke who says, you know, they have this formulate uh, idea of, you know, of African-American white people that basically doesn't 
see us as human beings. Mm-hmm. So what they do, you know, and, and Jeff Majiga is important because, you know, he turns gangsters, which supposedly are, you know, the epitome of, you know, male sexuality and mm-hmm. machismo, if you want. I mean, mm-hmm. of, men, for some you know, people uh, of Italians. Yeah, of course, of Italian. Oh, absolutely. That's, you know, that's the next chapter. <laughs> yeah, we're getting a little too early. Yeah. Right? Go, keep going. <laughs> but you know, and saying so he makes this, you know, epitome of masculinity actually homosexuals, mm-hmm. which many of them were, or at least they were bisexual. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it was just more hidden. It's than a now. sort of like well kept secret, right? You know, that the mob, and I think I can't remember the name, and I apologize. But so the fellow who wrote the introduction to to the book, but uh, you know, it's no secret that actually mobster uh, were happy to promote uh, homosexual relations on people who work for them because they consider uh, women a danger to the business, mm-hmm. so to speak. Right. So, gentleman jigger is really. The moment in the chapter that opens up all sorts of like possibilities, they return uh, later on without a writer, and especially Baldwin at the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, you know, and there is this uh, trade union, if you want, that is provided by the figure of the gangster and both and and gentleman jigger, and then knock on any door, which is a bestseller from the. Uh, from that time, from the time from the forties and fifties, mm-hmm. you know, who was turned into absolutely unwatchable movie <laughs> by Nicholas Ray with Humphrey Bogart. It's really the, bad. But the, the views of Samuel Pardini are not necessarily the views of <laughs> well, Network I, on that movie. <laughs> I, I well, I, I think that most people actually <laughs> agree that that's not exactly Ray's best. Achievement, you know, because it's just a bad movie. Um, especially if you read the, the novel. Right, you know, in comparison, uh, it didn't live up to the standards. It's really, you know. Uh, but I can not tell my good, audience that may have been a, mad, a bad movie from a good book, but I can tell my audience that this is a good book that you wrote here, Sam Pardini. Thank you. And the book is In the Name of the Mother Italian Americans, African Americans, and Modernity from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen, and I'm here with the author, Samuel F.S. Pardini. He's an associate professor at Elon University, and the book is published by Dartmouth College Press, our friends at Dartmouth College Press. So thank you so much for publishing this great work by Sam Pardini. I just wanted to make sure that we got that that title in because all this great stuff you're talking about in this scholarship, Sam, we want to make sure they know where they can get that book. Yeah, and, uh, you can and, go and, on Amazon, or you can go on University Press in New England website. Absolutely, and pick that book some up and pick it up. And I wanted to mention this, e- this. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sam. There's, it's also available on ebook as an oh, ebook, okay. right. so electronic version, which also has the advantage of having all the visual material uh, in color, color pictures and included know, as well. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah the picture that I, there's some ten images in the book, and mm-hmm. a few of them. I mean, they're all in black and white because obviously cost of production for mm-hmm. uh, color pictures are prohibitive at this 
you know, for university presses or most of them. But the electronic version is the original, if you want, so they'll call it. Yeah, so you, the benefit of ebooks, one of the many benefits of ebooks yeah. for those who prefer ebooks. And I wanted to, to mention, too, before I forget, Sam, because you never know who's listening on the New Books Network. But, you know, the, uh, the, the picture of the young man from, I think you said, 1906, early 20th century. If someone yes. recognizes that picture or, oh, rec- that would be awesome. <laughs> or recognizes that young man, please get in contact with Sam and, at Elon, Sam Pardini at Elon, and let, and let him know. I'm sure, like you, you Sam, you would love to know some, some more oh, background that would be, history. That would be really, you know, that's a dream. Right. Uh, I, really, I mean, uh, if... if you know, if I had a wish is that I could find who this kid in the, in the photo is. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, I mean, I tried to find information, but it's, 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 it's challenging for that time able. period. Yeah, right. but it really is uh, a great photo, and, uh, it, and really it would is. be wonderful to find out who the kid actually is. So if you if you're listening and you know you see. Um, the cover of the book on the New Books Network website or on um, Sam's uh, page or on the uh, Dartmouth uh, press page, and you recognize this man. It could be your grandfather, your great-grandfather, your great-uncle, or whatever the case may be. You know, if you're of uh, Italian heritage, you know, this is a a picture from, from New York, 1906. Please get in contact with Sam Pardini, Samuel Pardini at Elon University. And in general, I'm sure, Sam, you would be loved to hear from people who they want to tell their own stories about Italian-Americans and African-Americans as well. Could they kind of, would you be welcome and open to those contacts as well? Oh, absolutely. That would be magnificent. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear uh, stories or, you know, from both sides, possibly. Yeah. And, uh, or, you know, just, you know, response to the book. You know, I mean, the second part of the book deals more with... Uh, popular culture so mm-hmm. it's got a, probably uh, it would interest more more of a general audience mm-hmm. I mean it's got the Godfather movies in there it's got uh, rock music I mean Sinatra mm-hmm. Franklin and Sammy Davis and Springsteen and Clarence Clement so mm-hmm. you know sort of like targets more of like general audience mm-hmm. if you want but, but yeah I, that would be a, a great to hear from yeah. some folks but I would argue too Sam even your first couple of chapters there you know are going to interest general audience as well because I mean just thinking about family connections their family histories and they may even think back to <laughs> music that they heard growing up as children you know in their Italian American home or you know in their African American home you know the connections and just the knowledge and knowing about the you know, uh, the connection in the African-American community. You know, we talked a little offline about Spike Lee and his work. Yes. And, you know, as, as a filmmaker, uh, you know, a person from Brooklyn, New York, and his connections yes. with the Italian-American community. Two of my favorite movies are both by Spike Lee. One is Do the Right Thing, you know, which, you know, which is about, you know, yes. uh, civil and, you know, and racial unrest. But then also Miracle at St. Anna. Um, oh yeah, I'm actually. Uh, one of my favorites. I have a personal connection to it. Now okay. that you mention it, then you know, uh, in the sense that Santana is this very little, more of a here you would say a village, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually some ten miles from my hometown. Wow. Okay. And uh, I think the only survivor, survivor of the massacre happened to live across from me 
-hmm. He was the vice principal of the middle school that I attended. Okay. And his daughter was actually my classmate. Wow. And and he never. It's very difficult. I can imagine. Person, he never he never talked to. To us, he never mentioned any. Need to make. I mean, he lost his family and basically the entire village. And uh, but the other connection that I had mm-hmm. that I didn't tell you offline, but that I had, which I mentioned a little bit in the acknowledgement, mm-hmm. is that this little town that I had was uh, during the war uh, was where the Buffalo Soldier, the American mm-hmm. Army, and the Buffalo Soldier were stationed. Right. So my father was forced to leave town when the Nazis came. Mm-hmm. And when the Americans came and liberated him, you know, for him, the Americans were the African Americans. Mm-hmm. Because it was the Buffalo soldier that liberated my, my dad and his family. And he wow. actually lived uh, next door to them because when the army uh, uh, arrived and they, they settled in, in the town, obviously mm-hmm. it was a segregated army. So there was one side of the street, the white part of the American army mm-hmm. was there. And on the other side, which was my my dad's home house was, the Buffalo Soldier uh, were stationed. So he told me a story about, you know, these African-American soldiers that, you know, uh, he used to steal chocolate from <laughs> their jeeps, <laughs> you know, and uh, and that's how he got actually interested in jazz music, right? Uh, to begin with, and my dad, when he was older, actually had a chance to come to the United States during his military service with the Navy, and, and so and he got in, you know, New York at a time when the great jazz musicians were performing wow. in New York and then Virginia, so. There's a connection. I have another connection. Right. To to because a great one personal of my, connection for you. Absolutely. Yeah, a distant relative of mine is actually his mom. Uh, is the product of you know uh, his mom uh, fell in love with one of Buffalo soldiers and oh, they had this okay. kid together. You know, so you know in in many ways, African American has been a part of my life you know, since I was a kid. Right. You know, and and part of my family's history, right. in some fashion. You know. Right. Well, you did a great service, Sam, with with your book, in the name of the mother, Italian Americans, African Americans, and modernity, from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen, and that's a great personal story. And you know, the movie that we're talking about, everyone, if you're not familiar with this Spike Lee movie, it's maybe ten ten or so years old, may, maybe now. And it's called Miracle at St. Anna. And it's based on a historical fiction novel about something that really happened um, during World War II. And it was, just like Sam just said, it was some, some Buffalo soldiers, some black soldiers from a segregated unit that were you know, in, involved in helping to liberate this uh, Italian town. I mean, it's, it's a great movie. The novel, even more, even more so. Um, but I definitely would, you know, would would recommend that the, the the author of the novel escapes me. But the the novel, the, the name is the same as the movie Miracle yes. at at Saint Anna. And as you heard Sam just say here, he's got a personal connection, um, you know, with the town as well as his father with some of the uh, Buffalo soldiers that helped to 
uh, helped to liberate um, Italy uh, from the Nazis during World War II. Wow. That's a great story, Sam. And, you know, and as I told you offline, yours is a great American story, you know, coming from, from um, Italy to the United States and, and finding success here. Uh, marrying here and you know and, and becoming a, a scholar so you know kudos to you for your great success story you know you uh you had to work hard for what you have that's why I want to make sure everyone knows you know, your uh, academic background you didn't just yeah. roll off the turnip turnip truck and start writing this book <laughs> yeah, yeah. As no, we say, people work hard obviously absolutely as we that's what we used to say growing up you know roll off the turnip yeah. truck you didn't just roll off the turnip truck and and uh write this book um, so, yeah, we're here on the, the New Books Network, the African-American Studies channel, channel with Samuel Pardini. He's an associate professor at Elon University, and we're talking about his book about the connections between Italian-Americans and African-Americans, uh, mainly in the, in the 20th century. In the name of the mother, Italian-Americans, African-Americans, and modernity from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. And as you, as you mentioned, Sam, towards the end of the book, you get into, you know, the whole Italian gangster thing and the mob and a lot more into the, you know, popular culture, you know, connections. One of my favorite movies from the 1970s uh, has a James Brown soundtrack, is uh, Black Caesar, yeah. you know, which is about the, uh, you know, it's Italian... Uh, exploitation. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, yeah. The, the black version of an Italian gangster, and there's been many since then, you know, New Jack City which was a yeah. movie that came out when I was uh, uh, early college, high school age, you know, and, and, and so on and, and so forth. You have many, um, particularly 10 or 15 years ago, you had many of the hip-hop artists that named themselves after uh, oh, yeah. a, a, a Italian mafioso because, you know, that was considered to be, you know, and, you know, and, and, you know impressive uh, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, please tell yeah, us a, I mean, a little more. Yeah, yeah in chapter, well, it's interesting what you say, although I don't get into... A hip hop, uh, uh, the Italianization of hip hop, if you want, <laughs> symbolically <laughs> sure. speaking, and or the mafiaization of hip hop. But you know, uh, yeah, it's true. I mean, essentially, all those rappers and hip hoppers that uh, uses uh, gangster reference, mm-hmm. they do it on the basis of. Of two movies, one is Scarface, mm-hmm. and the other one is The Godfather. Oh, they love Scarface, right? absolutely. <laughs> yeah, although I believe that you know, I mean, I'm not a scholar of hip hop, mm-hmm. uh, so I, um, my 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 feeling is that they were they when they think of Scarface, they think of the uh, early eighties, I think. Right, the, Cub- the Cuban American version, the Cuban with Al Pacino in there. Who was that? Probably, <laughs> yeah. Who no? And uh, and they probably don't know about the original Scarface mm-hmm. from the 1932, with the piece actually, an Italian American uh, gangster, um, uh, supposedly Al Capone, obviously, that played by Paul Mooney, mm-hmm. who was not Italian. <laughs> and uh, and the other one is obviously the Godfather, of course, which is right. part, bit, you know, the half of the chapter four. Is actually the Godfather. Uh, both the first and the second movies and the novel. And uh, and I used the Godfather and then two uh, two novels, Franklin Three, the Music of the Inferno, mm-hmm. and Don the Little uh, Masterpiece Underworld to mm. uh, pretty much uh, 
uh, map trajectory of the gangster and Italian American masculinity from uh, an outsider, from you know the other, mm-hmm. another figure to white power broker, mm. and yet I, you know, I I go back to this notion of the invisible blackness uh, that is especially useful and to talk about the gangster. Because mm-hmm. right? one of the things that is left out from the first Godfather movie and somehow recuperated in the second one, mm-hmm. which I talked uh, extensively about in the book, is all these references that Puzo, Mario Puzo, the author of the novel, right. makes to the Godfather and his family, you know, as being... You know, people of dark complexion. Mm-hmm. Complexion. He talks about the original village where he comes from, Corleone, as a Moorish village, mm-hmm. which is a way of saying it's an African village, essentially, right. where, that's know, where the Moors were. North the Africa. Moors established themselves. So he talks about his wife, Mama Corleone, with his olive skin. I mean, all, there's all this racial. Uh, Underline in the book, mm-hmm. in the novel, it doesn't come out. Uh, it's completely erased in the in the first movie, okay. But it's something the same. The way I, I read the the, the the Godfather trope, and especially the second one, mm-hmm. uh, using as a sort of like background the first and, uh, movie and the novel, is how this again the invisible black hunts Michael. Mm. Corleone, as he develops and as he becomes, you know, the the the, the don mm-hmm. of the family, right? And so he's obtained to, uh, in some fashion, mm-hmm. pass as white, mm. and achieve, and more than that, like achieve whiteness, you mm-hmm. know, and this, and you know, and this conflict between, you know, the the. The values that, in some fashion, the history of the family represent. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean, there's a the whole story of how the fa- his, his father. You know, I was talking before about you know uh, immigration happening by negation, mm-hmm. right? and, and one of the things that he makes clear in the, in the second movie, which is not very much talked about, it mm-hmm. is that the Godfather uh, has to flee. Sicily. Mm, it's not some, right. some, somebody who comes here looking for a better life. Mm-hmm. It's living because he needs to save his life. Because <laughs> right? the soldiers of the mafia don't, are trying to kill him. Right? So, and then when he gets to New York in Little Italy, he experiences the same story. Right? Mm-hmm. It is mafia don. That you know is responsible for his losing his job, you know, at the grocery store where he works. So this sort of like the ground is in the mind of, of Michael as he develops, you know, and uh, his plan to expand the family and mm-hmm. sort of like turn into this, you know, uh, corp trying to build this corporate empire, you know. That goes transnational when he move, tries to move to to Cuba, you know, with the other fellow mobster. I mean, create a sort of like transnational business. 
And then you now there's a conflict between what he wants to achieve mm-hmm. as a businessman and what is unable to do as a man. Mm-hmm. Certainly important things to consider there. I mean, and you did a great job, Sam, and, and you know, in that chapter and your others and, and making those those connections. I mean, you really went deep, you know, into the, the, the Puzo, the Mario Puzo and, you know, uh, book, the novel, as well as here with the uh, with the movie. And, you know, and I and I just recall, you know, the, I was very young when the uh, the Godfather movies came out. But I can just recall, you know, this, you know, the whole thing. It was kind of controversial at the time and even later about, you know, selling the drugs to the to the blacks. And, yes. Know, and some, you know, some of those kind of things. And I think in some ways that helped kind of you know, make some tensions there, you know, and make some separation between the, the, the Italians and the, and the Africans. You know, we're not as similar, you know, they, that's them and it's okay to treat them that way, you know, yes. you know, and, and, you know, and we're different. And you, and you saw that a little bit too. And, you know, we talked about some of the Spike Lee movies, you know, like the uh, Jungle Fever and, you know, and the Do the Right Thing. It's like, you know, even though we may historically have some connections, we don't want to be associated with those folk. We're, we're, we're different. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the gangster is a perfect example how you mm-hmm. try to distance yourself from that uh, past or that right. association that you know is the origin of the gangster trope, you know. And the way I read Michael Corleone, trajectory is exactly that, and mm-hmm. even more so, it's developed later in the novel that I talk about it by Franklin Tricia and 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 Don DeLillo in the musical Inferno. And mm-hmm. underworld, especially, you know, it's exactly that, uh, you know. Uh, it's like there's a, there's an anger or a you know just aggressiveness to want to not be associated to you know with uh, the darker skinned people or you know people who may be considered lower than or less than within this American society and culture. Yeah, because that's what you know. Uh, that's how respectability is awarded, right? right. In, this country for the most part absolutely and we're here with the author of in the name of the mother italian americans african americans and modernity from booker t washington to bruce springsteen the author samuel f s pardini he's an associate professor at elon university so for all our north carolina folks if you're you elon fighting phoenix sam is one of you right yes indeed yeah so you can go go by and check them out and, and and see them and uh, in the name of the mother, and, you know, and, and as we talked about, Sam, there's a great connection between the mother in the African-American community and in the Italian-American community, as well as the religious, um, you know, connection with, with that as well. Yeah, and that is actually the focus of the uh, chapter five, mm-hmm. you know, which is uh, the longest chapter in the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, both in terms of number of pages, but also in terms of the chronological span that he covers, because Absolutely. he focuses on all this novel from the early, uh, from the mid thirties to mm-hmm. almost the present, mm-hmm. one of them list, and and some song too by Springsteen. And the, the 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 theme that holds the whole chapter together is this trope, this female trope called uh, this woman called Maria, mm-hmm. and it's a unique presence in American literature because that I know of, and believe me, I, I did a lot of research <laughs> and I read a lot of books, right, to make sure I was I was getting it right. Yes. Uh, 
is a true scholar. <laughs> it's these these woman called Maria, and of course there's the Catholic background there. Sure, is a unique present. There's no other, you know, uh, uh, range of American right. literature, whether it is African American, Asian American, or or just you know. Uh, well, you call probably Anglo-American. Mm-hmm. It has this rec- a recurring female figure that carries the same name, mm-hmm. you know, for pretty much the whole century. Right? So I was interested in in seeing what are the connection uh, between uh, the novels that employs this trope, mm-hmm. this female trope. From the early 30s, like I said, when pretty much the Italian-American literary tradition in the, form, in the novel form mm-hmm. begins to the presence. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, form, I deviate a little bit because as a bridge between uh, post-World War II and the 70s, you know, I used uh, popular songs, uh, especially, uh, especially solo. Mm-hmm. Springsteen songs who has uh, the same character uh, called Maria or Mary mm-hmm. in the pen all over his his you know songbook what he right. calls songbook so it provides a very useful link between the literature of the thirties and the forty and and then get into the seventies and and the eighties you know and. To make a long story short, essentially mm-hmm. what this woman represents is a sort of like alternative modernity for Italian Americans. And, and so she's a representative, if you want, of the immigrant struggles. And she's the one that breaks the color line more than anybody else, mm-hmm. or the ethnic line for that matter, not just, you know, uh, in multiple ways. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, it's, it's a fascinating connection because it really you know crosses times and 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 uh, environments if you want I'm talking about like literary environments context of course. you know and 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 writers both men and women adopt this figure you mm-hmm. know uh, some poets too do that you know it's it's really you know uh, I would call it like a universal figure uh, that helps shape uh, Italian American uh, novelistic tradition, mm. and you know, I would guess that uh, I don't think it's going to disappear. No, I don't think so either. No, and obviously, like I said before, there is the Catholic uh, background in it. You know, whether it is with John Fante's novel that I talk about, wait until. Spring Bandini, mm-hmm. or uh, this other novel by a man called Michael De Capita, mm-hmm. who unfortunately he wrote this fantastic novel called Maria that I talk about in the book mm-hmm. extensively. Unfortunately, he died very young uh, when he was making, you know, uh, was developing as a writer. He managed to write two more novels, but I think he died in a car a car accident at a, a relatively young age. So, you know, it's it's uh, unfortunately that the book 
didn't uh, resonate more than I think it deserved. Mm. It's it's out of print, and it would be great if somebody out there listening that is able to you know, <laughs> embark on a project to bring republish yeah, and bring, bring him back, because I really think that he's a fantastic novel, and it has a lot. Well, say say the name again and the author. Maybe someone will listening will be able the, to do that. The author is Michael Decapite, D E C A P I T E, and the novel is called Maria, just like the just name Maria of the, only, right? Okay. Yeah, the the female figure, which is at the end, at the at the center of of the novel. You know, you never you never and, know, Sam. <laughs> well, you never yeah. know who's listening. They might be able to uh, grant your wish. Yeah, I I use it uh, sometimes in the classroom, mm-hmm. and uh, I have very good response good. from the students. Good. So I think it is a book that you know speaks to to students to these days, That's and they, it would deserve a second a second chance mm-hmm. for sure. I think so. This uh, this character is present throughout the American Italian American literary tradition, like I said, and uh, and also in the popular culture, mm-hmm. uh, especially the music popular culture that I get to uh, in uh, in the last chapter. Oh, right, uh, right. The chapter six is where the focus is on the relationship between Italian Americans and African Americans. Mm-hmm. On the stage, mm-hmm. stage and I use, subversion, right? Yeah, and they and I use two uh, uh, bipartisanship. Uh, uh, I mean, two. I mean, Sinatra mm-hmm. and uh, and Sammy Davis Jr. Oh yes, the famous and then <laughs> in the a famous duo, you know, and and then Springsteen. And Clarence, Clarence Clemens, right? Yeah, yeah. and uh, the interesting, to me at least, the interesting thing about this is how come of all the, uh, I mean, popular culture and especially popular music mm-hmm. in the 20th century is the kingdom of ethnic and racial people for the most right. part, right? I mean, especially popular culture, as well as working class whites from the South. Mm-hmm. Elvis is a white man, he's working class. Johnny Cash is the same. Up mm-hmm. north, you have all these ethnic uh, white folks involved in creating, uh, you know, what we know as modern popular culture. Mm-hmm. But the the the, the main. Uh, the stage is usually entirely white. Mm-hmm. Even when you have multi-ethnic bands or feet. The people you see in the forefront. Right. Yes. But you have this connection that returns again and mm-hmm. two main figures of uh, American popular culture, mm-hmm. which are Frank Sinatra, and Bruce Springsteen. Mm-hmm. Whether you like the music or not is a different story, obviously. <laughs> but you know who they are. But these are essential 
maker of American popular culture, mm -hmm. and probably a little more, certainly for Sinatra, in Sinatra's case, right? And mm -hmm. these are two men who shared, you know, their stage, you know, for, you know, almost their entire life. Yeah, with two decades, for sure, with two African-American men, right? And you don't have this without a very important mm. uh, white ethnic. Not very, right? not very often. Like Bob Dylan, who's Jewish, obviously, mm -hmm. as we know, never had a central... If a, 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 a black figure on stage that is central to his career as much as uh, Davis Jr. or Clarence Clemens are to mm -hmm. both Sinatra and, and, Springsteen. And, and, and Springsteen, right? And they, uh, they acknowledge, both Sinatra and Springsteen, what they do is they acknowledge the importance how... These men that they share the stage with, mm -hmm. you know, they are representative of a tradition and a story and a history that is central to them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Both as artists, you know, as makers of music, yeah, and, you know, as who they are, as a mm -hmm. person. Yes. And in, in Sinatra, it's obviously more, more obvious for chronological reasons, mm -hmm. right? Is the, the son of, you know, recent immigrants, essentially. I mean, I was born, I think, in 1917, so it's really, you know, at the center of that uh, immigrant uh, process mm -hmm. uh, right. of the early 20th century, right? When Italians are not uh, integrated or assimilated yet mm -hmm. not the way into that they the were social made. fabric of the country as they are by the time that Springsteen comes around right. and makes himself... Yeah, right. But yet, uh, if you, uh, uh, you know, uh, do the research and see how this uh, this art is developed, mm -hmm. even in the case of Springsteen, mm -hmm. there's a clear connection between his, uh, which is not very talked about it. No, no. Right? And uh, and he doesn't really talk about it too much as well himself, mm -hmm. although. Recently, uh, he published his autobiography, mm -hmm. and he has uh, an entire chapter about the Italian, uh, his Italian family on the mother's side. Okay. Uh, and it, make, it makes m several references to this past. Right? Mm. His grandfather was an immigrant from Naples, and mm -hmm. so was his grandmother. Uh, and, he, and then it's, you know, he makes this connection between... Uh, the immigrant story and uh, and blackness mm -hmm. that translates into sharing the stage with this uh, musician, mm -hmm. African-American musician, right. and, and becoming his lifelong partner, you know, uh, on the stage, who is essential to uh, develop his artistry. Mm. Right. Wow. And I use... Two moments in both artists' careers, in Frank Sinatra and Springsteen careers, mm -hmm. on stage, mm -hmm, in which they perform, mm -hmm, what and where they use what I, you know, my argument is that they use their body, essentially, mm -hmm. their bodies, mm -hmm, 
and and their music mm-hmm, to enact uh, some sort of like subversive uh, racial mm-hmm. uh, representation. Right. If it's I mean, okay for them, then it should be okay for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that Springsteen is probably the only person who's been able for decades to have literally thousands and thousands of people, you know, uh, applauders, exploding joy when they introduce a black man calling him king of the world mm. and master of the universe, which is a particularly, you know, uh, ironic, if you want, side to it. Mm-hmm. And he did this, whether it was performing in the south or in the north, the east or the west of the mm. country, you know, and his audience is almost entirely white. Right. Right. But he has this central figure on stage who's black right, that the audience almost, you know, reveres. Right. right. They, they universally they, respect they, they, him. There is respect. They almost worship, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of, you know, racial stuff happening mm-hmm. during those on years on this stage yeah on this stage for all those years you know and and the problem obviously is also i mean the problem, the, the beauty of it is also the limit of it you know mm. it's easy to do it when you perform on stage and it's right. the limitation of popular culture you know mm. which is totally entangled is you know in, in the capitalist economy if you want the political economy of it which makes it you know both you know, uh, attractive and, and, and difficult to relate mm-hmm. to. And uh, because once you get off stage, of course, uh, things get a lot more complex. Right. But, but everyone loves music. Yeah. Absolutely. You sure do. You sure do. All right. And so I'm here with the author of In the Name of the Mother, Italian Americans, African Americans, and Modernity from Booker T. Washington to, as you just heard, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Because <laughs> we could add Clarence Clemens in there, too, maybe in, maybe in parentheses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I sure do. And with uh, Samuel F.S. Pardini, a great scholar from uh, Elon University. And uh, his book is published by our friends at Dartmouth College Press. And I really enjoyed talking to you, Sam. I'm hoping we can do it uh, a whole lot more on a, on a range of issues. But I don't want to talk with you. I don't want to keep you all day. You're a professor, no, and, <laughs> and you've got uh, plenty of things to, to you know to do. But before we go, and you, and you know, thank you so much. You've outlined every you know chapter in the in the book for us, and you know you really explain a lot of the concepts. So I'm hoping that people who are listening really can kind of get into the things you're talking about and want to go out there and, and purchase this book and learn more about the deep roots and the connections between Italian Americans and, and African Americans. But before I let you go, can you maybe tell us a little bit more about some of your other research or, or projects that you have you know, upcoming or things that people can find now or that you want to share with us where they could find some of your research? I know you mentioned some of your earlier books um, near the beginning of our interview. Yes. Well, first of all, let me thank you for uh, let me talk about the book and you know, hope that people get a general overview. Oh, my pleasure of what it is, uh, what I try to do with it. As far as my pre- present research, 
uh, as I mentioned to you, I was uh, you know studied with Leslie Fiedler. Mm-hmm. I was his last student, and I got very close to him. So uh, recently, uh, like a year and a half, two years ago, his family has given me as uh, it was. Uh, his World War II correspondence oh, wow. with his wife, with his first wife. He then volunteered. He was a professor at Montana, and mm-hmm. then then it was Montana State University. It's University of Montana in Missoula, mm-hmm. and he was a professor there uh, when uh, you know World War during World War II. And uh, in 1943, he decided to volunteer in in the Navy. Mm. And uh, he was a translator from Japanese mm. for for the Navy. And uh, in the book that I mentioned before that I did, The Devil Gets His Due, there's one of his last essays, which is his experience uh, at Iwo Jima, mm. where he was in the famous, he talks about the flat raising, the famous flat raising, and the photo of the American mm-hmm. soldier raising the flag on Iwo Jima. Anyway, during the three years that he was in the uh, in uh, in the navy, he had a you know a pretty substantial correspondence with his wife, uh, his first wife Margaret, and uh, his letters, uh, almost all of them, or at least a good chunk of them, uh, for uh, to be precise, three hundred and sixty-seven of them. Wow! Yeah. Well, that's, he, <laughs> they, he, he loved his wife. <laughs> oh yeah, he loved his wife, and and he loved to write. And he loved to write. <laughs> yeah, and on average, you were talking about six pages per letter. So, okay. wow, these three hundred sixty-seven letters survived a massive uh, fire that destroyed his home in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, there's no, I have no record of his wife letters to him, but I have all the letters that he wrote to his wife. And the mm-hmm. letters are very fascinating. I started transcribing them, so it's a big project. At the moment, I'm almost 70 letters into it. Mm-hmm. And they cover, like, like I said, from 1943 to 1945, when uh, his service ter- uh, finished. Mm-hmm. And he talked about all sorts of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the war, politics, literature, you know, contemporary literature of the time, of course. Sure. Uh, there's a letter, it's essentially an essay on Milton, you know, the <laughs> British poet. So, wow. nature, you know, uh, Japanese traditions when he's in Japan. So, there's, it's, it's really a fascinating view, or sort of like preview into a, you know, mm. one of those critics that will become essential right. to the study of you know, post World War Two and early uh, insight American literary tradition. So, and you know, at the moment I'm transcribing the letter. It's a it's a lot of work, and uh, but I can see you know uh, the project taking you know, a shape. Oh, yeah. And uh, another and book. You. Right. Yeah, a book of a selection of this, and right. probably it will have to be uh, a thematic selection. Mm, right, that's yeah. what I was still thinking when you were describing that, right? Yeah, yeah, because of yeah, course, there are you know, yeah. parts of the letters that are private and personal that mm-hmm. with no interest to a uh, general an audience, any audience, and, uh, and so it makes no sense. But there's you know, a ton of stuff that uh, once it is. 
uh, put together thematically, I think will make for a very interesting book. I, I so would agree. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the project that I'm currently uh, doing, and mm-hmm. it's it's taking you know between teaching and this project, it is very little time for mm-hmm. anything else. It takes time, and that's something that people need to realize. Yes. You, you know, you, you don't just <laughs> knock one of these books out in like a month. I mean, it, ta- it takes no, no, years it takes to sometimes decades, years. depending yes. on what's going on in your life and, you know, what, what the subject matter is. I mean, you know, you mentioned over, how many, said over 300 letters? Was it it's three, th- 367. 300, right, so that's going to take you some time. To oh, go it's going to take a lot of time. Unfortunately, then, the university is supporting me very uh, much and they giving me a, a spring semester off next year. Good, good. Uh, so that would obviously uh, give me a lot of time to mm-hmm. work uh, on the project exclusively and uh, hopefully get, you know, not get, I mean, obviously not get it done, but, you know, close to... Yeah, to, get a good bit of know. it. Yeah, get yeah. Far, pretty far along in the, in, in the process. And I think, I mean, that, that sounds great, Sam, and it's, it'll be, a, you know, a great tribute from from you to someone who was very influential on in your life and your, your research and your scholarship. Absolutely. And so I look forward to, you know, hopefully we can get you back here on New Books Network when you get that done. So That'd can, be my pleasure. <laughs> I would with, love to do that. Yeah, absolutely. To, to talk with you some more about that, and you know, and so for people who are interested in in that work, you know, that that Samuel's working on now, please contact him as well. You know, you may have some things that could be helpful for him, or you may be interested in, in assisting him with with that process, because yeah, you, you're definitely Sam becoming a uh, a scholar on your mentor there, you know, particularly with this next book, you will be. <laughs> yeah. One, yes, of, the, one of the foremost scholars. <laughs> yeah, I suppose, right? Right. No, I am. I mean, I, I, even more so after this project, yeah. which is very unique. Right. It, it is. It, so. it, it sounds great. And, and again, we're here with the author of this, this particular project, In the Name of the Mother, yeah. Italian-Americans, African-Americans, and Modernity from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. Uh, the book is published by Dartmouth College Press. The author, Samuel Pardini. He's a, uh, a researcher, a uh, scholar at Elon University, the, uh, the Phoenix, back there in, uh, in uh, Elon, North Carolina. And I'm hoping, too, Sam, you know, that uh, at some point you'll find some time to continue your work on the, the connections between Italian-Americans and African-Americans, you know, into modern times. I would love your take on some of these uh, it- Italian influenced hip hop scholars, or uh, some oh, of the Fight yes. Lee films, and so on. Yeah. I would love your take on and some of your personal stories about the miracle at Saint Anna. That's yeah. just my, well, my my personal the, interest. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's obviously. I mean, by no means the book has any. Uh, you know, uh, not com- doesn't touch on everything like I said it couldn't. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I think would be interesting to look mm-hmm. into. And I might as well do it myself at one point. <laughs> is you know, I, comp- I mean, a very interesting area I think is sport. Right. Yes. Right. Professional sport and even cultural representation of, of sport uh, that involve Italian Americans and African Americans. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, the Rocky movies come come to mind, Easy especially mind, yeah. because of the last. Uh, movie, not Creed, mm-hmm. 
uh, that sort of like goes back to the original Rocky, if you want. Right, how you started it, right? How the spirit of it. And, uh, but, you know, there's baseball and, uh, you know, Roy Campanella, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, there's ton, tons of stuff, you know, that, uh, that one can, can look uh, into. For, so much. Spike, Spike Lee. But like yeah. I said, I think that it requires a different set of conceptual tools than the ones that are used and in the name of the matter, which is mm-hmm. why I stopped what I stopped right, right. And, and didn't include what I did include there. Yeah, well, that's externally, is, you know, like I said before, one of the goals of the book is hopefully to inspire yes. other scholars to pursue this line of research or similar lines of research. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and try to expand the field. Because yeah. uh, I do believe there's a lot of work to be done. I think so. And, and you did a great start, Samuel. So thank, thank you for um, your interest and your research. And, you know, it was interesting to hear your personal connection, um, you know, to a, a lot of these, these things. So I'm looking forward to talking with you, you know, outside of the interview about um, some, some of those, those things. But we're going to have to close here today. We could keep yes. going all day, Sam, yes. talking about these yes. connections. But you, you've got to go do your scholarship, and I've got to do mine. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to end it right here. But, but thank you again um, for thank your you. time and, and for writing this book. I think it's going to be of great interest to our audience. And hopefully, you know, this uh, being on a podcast will expose you to some, some different people maybe. And, you know, you'll hear from some of them. And, again, if anyone knows the young man who's on the cover of Sam's book, definitely yeah, Samuel Pardee, get, get in contact with him. He would, lo- he would love to, to know. It's probably one of your relatives. Um, it's someone's relative. We know that, Sam. Someone in the United yeah, States right sure. now. This is their great-grandfather or, or great-great-grandfather. So, so take a look at the, at the cover. If it, if it looks like you or your, your family or someone <laughs> In your family, definitely get in contact with Samuel Pardini at Elon University in North Carolina. He would love to talk with you about the connections between Italian-Americans and African-Americans um, as well. So, again, you know, thank you, Sam. The book is In the Name of the Mother, Italian-Americans, African-Americans, and Modernity, from Booker T. Washington to Bruce Springsteen. The author Samuel F.S. Pardini, the network, the New Books Network, the channel, the African-American Studies Channel, and I'm your host, James Stansel. So we're going to see you next time on the network. And please, Sam, if you don't mind, tell my audience goodbye. Yeah, thank you very much for having me over. I really enjoy it, and good luck with uh, with your work. You're providing a great service to I the academic it, and in general uh, community it. interested in the humanities and history. Absolutely. And the last thing I'm going to say, Sam, is please keep your promise to me. Bojangles, Cajun Filet Biscuit, or go and, and get a uh, barbecue sandwich with coleslaw and some hush puppies in my honor. If you do that, then you've paid me back for the interview. How about that, Sam? I won't let you down, I promise. All right. And on that note, th- thank you, Dr. Bardini. And we're going to close out, and we'll see everyone next time on the African American Studies channel of the New Books Network. I'm your host, James Stanton. Peace and love. Thank you.